Loving God, your word has the power to restore our lives. Open our hearts to the presence of your spirit and the message from your word. For you are mighty to save. Amen. Well, last week we considered the beginning of the story of Ruth and Naomi. Remember that Bethlehem had been hit by a famine, that is a food shortage, and so Elimelech moved his wife Naomi and their two sons to Moab, another country. First, Elimelech, and then a few years later, his two sons died so that the widow Naomi is stranded in a foreign land with nobody except her two widowed daughters-in-law. So Naomi decides to go back home to Bethlehem to get back to where she once belonged. And she tells the daughter-in-laws to go home too. One does, but not Ruth, who vows not to leave Naomi. Today, we learn what Paul Harvey used to call the rest of the story. <laughs> A story in which we move from brokenness to wholeness, from death to life, from hunger to food and abundance, from anxiety to security, from the exclusion to inclusion, from barrenness to birthing, from bitterness to rejoicing. And in part, an important part of the story involves a word we don't hear a lot these days, glean. In those days, they had no government welfare, no insurance, no food banks, no Red Cross, no Salvation Army, no Social Security, none of the programs that we have now to help people who are in great need and in real danger of starving. But when they harvested crops, poor people were allowed to go along behind the farm workers to collect what they had left behind. That was called gleaning. Gleaning is ordered actually twice in the book of Leviticus. One verse says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest, but leave them for the poor. And I've heard that some farmers still allow gleaning, usually people harvesting by hand food that's been left in the field. Gleaning was how the widows Naomi and Ruth survived. But first, we meet Boaz, a new character in the story. Listen now for the word of God from the second chapter of Ruth, the first 13 verses. Now, Naomi had a kinsman on her husband's side, a prominent rich man of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I might find favor. She said to her, Go, my daughter. So she went. She came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz came from Bethlehem. He said to his reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, To whom does this young woman belong? 
The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the Moabite who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the reapers. So she came, and she has been on her feet from early this morning until now without resting even for a moment. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that is being reaped and follow behind them. I've ordered the young men not to bother you. If you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Then she fell prostrate with her face to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight, that you should take notice of me when I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord reward you for your deeds, and may you have a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, May I continue to find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servants, even though I am not one of your servants. Now, we'll let all the adults read chapter 3 for themselves sometimes, but let me just summarize. Ruth proposes to Boaz, not the other way around. She proposed to him, and he said, yes. And then we have a few more verses from the fourth chapter of Ruth, starting at the 13th verse. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you like a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. At the end of the book of Ruth, we find out why she is important in history. She's the great-grandmother of King David, and therefore she is an ancestor of Jesus. Now, Ruth and Boaz are listed in the genealogy in the fifth verse of that first chapter of Matthew, not to mention the third chapter of Luke. But the book of Ruth is not in the Bible just because of that family tree. As Carolyn Pressler has written, the book of Ruth is a testimony that rings true. God works in and is made known through loving relationships to offer a blessing beyond anything 
that those struggling to keep faith could ever imagine. Under whose wings? Well, in the Pentateuch, that is the first five books of the Bible, the eagle is a metaphor for God's protection, God's nurturing care and loving kindness for God's people. For example, in Exodus 4, after Moses had led the people of Israel to escape Egypt and Pharaoh's army, and they came to Mount Sinai, God had Moses say to the people, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Or in Deuteronomy 32, Moses says, as an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, as it spreads its wings, takes them up and bears them aloft on its pinions. The Lord alone had guided Jacob. So under his wings was a metaphor for God's protection that was familiar already to readers of the Hebrew Bible. Ruth and Naomi had faith. Despite outward circumstances that were adverse, inward doubts and fears. You see, faith is not just a belief, some sort of calculated assessment that some set of statements is probably true. Or this morning I heard the uh, congressman who's the head of the Homeland Security Commission they talk about how he had a high degree of confidence that something was so. You know, it's, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but I think probably it is. Well, faith is not that. Faith is not a feeling, something subjective, that some warm and fuzzy notion that comes and goes. The life of faith involves our holding on, holding on to a God who is already faithful. There's a famous preacher from years ago named Henry Emerson Fosdick who said, cynicism and fear freeze life. Faith thaws it out, releases it, and sets it free. We are called not to be fearful, but to be faithful. The book of Ruth is an amazing story. The characters in the story, they're not kings, they're not queens, they're not generals, they're not war heroes. In fact, there are no villains. There's no bad guy in this story. If you read the four chapters of this little book closely, you will find that the characters in the story are not just looking out for their personal benefit. They're working to promote the well-being of other people. The people we meet in the book of Ruth are, for the most part, they're like you and me. Ordinary people leading ordinary lives. Ordinary lives touched by guided by Almighty God. There was a famine, if you think about it. There's a famine, but Ruth and Naomi did not starve. Three important men in their lives, Naomi's husband and her two sons, died. But Ruth and Naomi did not perish. They lived. Insecurity stalked Naomi and Ruth, but faith conquered, conquered fear and anxiety. And as it turns out, God took care of Naomi and Ruth. And in God's providence, with God's marvelous, abundant, all-sufficient grace.
grace. God will take care of you and me too. In the words of an old hymn, if you think about it, Ruth and Naomi had no dream, no prophet ecstasies, no sudden rending of the veil, no angel hesitant, no opening skies. In this book that tells the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, we don't have stories of God talking directly to people. We don't have miracles or partings of the sea. We have ordinary people moving through their lives with faith in God and God blessing them. God's work is in our hands, which is why the, the 90th Psalm ends with the psalmist praying, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and prosper for us the work of our hands. Oh, prosper the work of our hands. Think about this. When they left Moab and moved to Bethlehem, Ruth and Naomi had no money, no prospects, no real reason to have hope. What they had is what the 46th Psalm calls God as their refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And so do you and I. So do we. Thanks be to God. May the God of creation and restoration give you confidence in the daily tasks that are set before you. May the God of love and compassion assure you of your heritage as a child of God. May the God of guidance and inspiration mold you in God's image. And may the blessing of God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer be with you and remain with you today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen.